That when, you know, like, maybe you get asked to go to chess club, and you thought, oh, I like chess, I want to do that. Or if you don't, you would say, well, no, I don't play chess. And the assumption of coming to a place like this is, it's church club. And if you like churching, you'd come. And if you invited somebody there, if someone invited you, and you're like, yeah, I like the God thing, I'm in. But what if you're like, I don't, I don't know how to play chess. And I'm in this place. Will they think I'm weird? Will they, will they laugh at me? Will they be like, that person didn't know how to stand up at the right spot? You know, that kind of, we're just terrifically honored that you're here and thinking through these things. And so to catch you up where we are, we have been sort of across the year tripping slowly through the Gospel of Luke, giving this opportunity to get these glimpses and to learn how the man Luke presented Jesus to his audience to try to make sense of him. And the opening scene was the, the Christmas story stuff. And then Jesus sort of jumps to Jesus grown up and his ministry begins and the opening of Jesus's ministry is all in the, the northern part of Israel, a land called Galilee. And there's Jesus up there and Luke presents all these things Jesus does by way of introducing him to us. And so this series is called, Who is This Man? It's just from the Gospel of Luke, exploring how Luke wanted to introduce Jesus to you. And two weeks ago, Amy began as she put Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth where, oh, kids, you are so dismissed at Children's Church. The arms waving in the back. Someone's like beckoning me. Thanks so much, guys. <laughs> Amy began with Jesus at Nazareth, walking up to his hometown and saying that he is Messiah. He's the anointed one. And, and because of the way he presented himself that day, they tried to kill him. And then last week, if you were here, we walked along with Jesus to the plane as Jesus sort of unveiled his idea of how people of the kingdom live. And today, Ricky is going to continue on with the series. I'll let him open up his passage. But uh, Rick, why don't you come on up? Uh, there he is. Rick is our... Uh, are you our assistant pastor? I, I'm, titles mean nothing to me at all. Um, and so here's what Rick is. He's a young man that Kevin acknowledged a long time ago, and I knew because he was in our ministry with crew, that, that God just has a way with him that is way with people. Those of you who helped set up with him, you know that he just he's filled with life and energy and love for people. And he's the kind of guy who we really believe God would want to be pastor of churches and that sort of thing one day. And so we're training him to be just that person and pursuant to that, he's going to teach us about Luke today. Go Thanks, to work, man. man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, all. Uh, thanks for the introduction, Steve. That was great. Uh, if I don't know you, my name is Ricky, obviously. Uh, if you are new here, I know that Rob just welcomed you and Steve just welcomed you. Um, I just want to add another welcome. Just, just keep hitting you with welcome. Clearly, you are welcome here. I just wanted to throw out, though, um, I grew up in Toledo, grew up outside the church, so... Um, if you're extra new to the church experience, the Christian experience, or just here visiting, um, I feel you. You know, Rob usually does this like disclaimer sometimes on Sundays where he's like, hey, it's Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and normally you'd be asleep or eating breakfast or something and instead you're in a room full of strangers worshiping uh, the God of the universe, which is like really weird if you think about it. You know, like here singing with a bunch of other people to the creator of the universe. Um, and I just want to acknowledge, like, that can be a little strange. And, uh, yeah, because I, I grew up outside of the church, I just, I feel you. I'm with you. Um, it, I kind of like that I grew up outside of church, though. Like, I don't know. I, I, 
outside of normal Christian culture and stuff, I, I became a Christian officially in high school, and I started reading the Bible. But I, because I didn't grow up with it, I like saw it in, in just no filter, no context, no like churchy anything to sort of like no no Sunday school like coloring pictures of Noah and the ark or something like that. It was just like fresh. Everything was brand new to me, and I would read crazy stuff that Jesus said. Like I, I was reading the Bible. Uh, I think it was like my junior year of high school. And I'm like, man, Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And I'm reading this, and I seriously considered poking my eyeball out. Because I'm like, I'm walking down this, the hall in high school. And I, I'm like checking out girls, because girls are hot. And I'm like, well, my eyes caused me to sin. I guess I should poke it out, because that's what Jesus says. Or like, you know, he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And I was doing all sorts of sinful things with my hands, so I'm like, I, I seriously considered, I was like, maybe like I can get away with like a ring finger or pinky, like something not like totally necessary. I feel like I can get away with a pinky. Um, but I, I was just reading this stuff that Jesus said, and it sounded extreme, and because I had no like lens or filter to see it through, I was just like, well, he said that. So my friends who introduced me to Jesus, um, I feel like they were like talking me off ledges all the time. They're just like, dude, calm down. It's like, you're taking this way too seriously. But some joined me. Like my friend Eric um, and I, we, we, um, we gave up talking for Lent one year. Yeah. So senior year of high school, vow of silence, two little monks just walking around, not talking. Um, and I like... So Ash Wednesday comes and, you know, I get up and, and my mom is like making breakfast and stuff and she's asking me questions and talking to me and whatever and I just am not responding. And like after a few minutes she's like, did you give up talking for Lent? And, and like I just didn't, I just decided and I did it. And, um, and my teachers were furious because I didn't explain. Luckily, my friend Eric, he like, he saw me do this. He's like, oh, it's really cool. I want to join him. And like the next day, he like brought in a letter sort of explaining, like, I'm doing this religious thing. I'm trying to like, I'm not trying to offend you. So he like covered for both of us, but I just like failed at, at letting people know. Um, yeah. My other friend, Peter, he, um, he thought his TV, new TV that he got for Christmas was distracting him from reading the Bible and Jesus. So he like... He cut the power cord to his new TV. I, I feel like he used scissors, but I also, he's like into martial arts and stuff. So we like, I'm pretty sure he used a samurai sword or something. Like high school boys have weapons everywhere. So his dad wanted to kill him. He's like, dude, I just bought you this TV and you cut the cord. Um, but we, we just kept reading this stuff in the Bible and, and taking it literally. And I read the story of Jesus telling this rich guy to sell all he has and give to the poor. So I took all my CDs and took them to Allied Records in, in Toledo, and I sold all my CDs to give the money to the poor. And it was just this wild time in our lives. It felt like, like if you read about the church in Acts uh, chapter 2, where it's like this, this group of believers, and they're all like doing crazy stuff and selling their stuff to, to support each other and worshiping together. Because it was like me and my friends, we went to school together, we played sports and extracurricular activities together, and, and we, you know, went to church every Sunday, and we brought like carloads of people from our high school Sunday nights to youth group, and then the Wednesday Bible study. We were just hanging out all the time and worshiping Jesus, and it was awesome. It was so great. And... Um, I just remember like reading this stuff about Jesus and being like, who is this guy like that says these intense things? And, and like Steve said, we're in this series right now um, called, Who Is This Man? 
Because if you read the book of Luke, like the first 10 chapters are just full of people encountering Jesus, and they're just left like scratching their heads as he walks away. Like he says some truth bomb or like mic drop moment, and he walks away and like, who, did you see that? Who was that guy? That was crazy. He's crazy. And it's just this theme keeps coming up over and over. Um, for instance, we are in the parable of the sower today. If you did grow up in church, um, and this is your 150 millionth time here, uh, you're familiar with Christianity, whatever, you're probably familiar with this parable, right? Parable of the seeds, parable of the soils. Uh, it's kind of like a common teaching of Jesus. Um, and Luke sort of tells it this way. Uh, so Luke chapter 8, verse 4, if you have a Bible with you. Um, he's talking about Jesus and he says, When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, came to Jesus, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Does this one sound familiar? You guys remember? Have you ever heard this one before? Um, I, I've been a Christian for 13-ish years now. And I feel like sometimes when I'm reading, like from reading Luke or something, I will like come to something like this and just sort of skim through it. I'm like, yep, yeah, Parable of Sower, read this one before. It's, and I'm not doing it on purpose, I'm not like purposefully skimming. But like you just get so familiar with something that you just sort of like glaze over. I do. I don't know. Maybe I'm just projecting that onto you. I, I, this is my struggle. Um, but if I really take a closer look at this parable, it's like a big ministry moment for Jesus, right? Like verse 4 says there's a huge crowd. People from town after town are here to, to hear him speak. Uh, like this is every pastor's dream, right? Like if you think about it, like imagine if Olds Camp, I guess we'd be like outside in the freezing cold because thousands of people, like uh, people from Toledo and Finley and, and Maumee and Perrysburg and BG, it was just filled, like standing room only, Olds Camp is full and everybody's here to hear me preach. I'm like, all right, full house, feeling good, you know, like rock concert venue, just huge, like full of people. And I decide... I'm going to preach using only Jesus' words. Okay? So I get up here, feeling good. I walk up and I start preaching parable of the sower. And I sort of paraphrase what Jesus said. I'm like, okay, thousands of people. This farmer was throwing some seed out. Some landed on a hard path and birds ate it. Some landed on some rocks. It sprouted up quickly, but then it withered and died. Some landed in thorns and grew up, but then the weeds choked it out. Some landed in some good topsoil, though. And it, it just sprouted up like crazy, just super huge. It is what it is. If, if you get it, then you get it. And I just walk off. Like, that's, that's what Jesus did here. And, like, it's so easy to just, for me to glaze over, like, Jesus, you have thousands of people, and this is what you bring to preach. Like, this is what you say. This is your big ministry moment, and you bring that. And I, I was so, like, 
If I did that, I don't think anyone would be like, man, Brookside just preaches the word just like the way Jesus taught it. They're just all in for Jesus, just doing it his way. Like, I don't think anyone would say that. They'd be like, what was that? Like even his disciples are like, what just happened? Like the next section, his disciples, his closest followers, the 12 apostles, they catch up with them and they, they have to chase him down for an explanation, right? Um, and in this next section, Jesus sort of explains what he was doing. He says in verse 9, And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So, he basically says, you guys, my disciples, are the insiders. You get to know the secret. Everyone else, they, they, they just get the general story, just the bare bones, because, um, so, so they'll see me, but they won't really see me, and they'll hear me, but they won't really hear me. Who is this guy? Like, what is happening in this story. You know what I mean? Like, what is going on? Why, why would he do that? He goes on to explain the parable, though, to his disciples. He says um, in verse 11, Now the parable, of the, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while. In a time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit doesn't mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Okay, so let's, let's like break this down, like what Jesus is doing. So the seed is the word of God, right? Seed is the word, got that. And we get four types of people, four types of soil. You get the path, which is those who've heard, but the devil takes it away so that they won't be saved. You get the rock, those who hear, and it sprouts up with joy, but it withers in a time of testing. You get the thorns that sprout up, but it's, it's choked. The word is choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world. And then you get the good soil. Those who hearing the word, they hold it fast and bear fruit with patience. And if we just, again, we, we keep the Christian lens off and we just take this at face value, like that is not good odds, right? Like I'm looking at this, I'm like, man, it seems like the moral of the story is a lot of people are going to hear about Jesus, not a lot of people are going to follow him. Like three out of four. And, and, Francis Chan is this amazing pastor in California. And I like, I owe him a huge debt. I feel like I stole so much from his sermon as I was preparing for this because he's just so good at like peeling back the curtain and like helping me see with new eyes this parable. And he sort of described it like Jesus was, I don't know, he's like the spiritual equivalent of, of becoming a Navy SEAL. So Navy SEALs are like the top, utmost, best of the best, most elite soldiers and fighters in the U.S. military. Super awesome guys, super hardcore. And, and people who try out for the Navy SEALs, there's an attrition rate of 75%. So three out of four, like the three out of four types of seed, um, 
these guys who try out to become Navy SEALs, though, are like the most studliest, stud, all-American, Division I athletes, like super trained killer soldier guys, and they try out to, be, try out to, to become a SEAL. And, and they get to boot camp, and the instructors just look around, and they're like, I don't think you're supposed to be here. Nope, not, you're not good enough. Not going to cut it. No way. Go home. Get out of here. You won't make it. And then they proceed. You can YouTube this. This is like real. Like you can watch YouTube documentaries. They like beat the tar out of these guys for like weeks and months on end. Boot camp is just intense. You're doing push-ups till your arms fall off. And they're making you jump in ice cold water and roll around in the sand. And you don't sleep for weeks. And like it's just super intense. And three out of four of these studly studs quit. Like they're just done. They call it quits. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm like, man, Jesus seems to be doing something similar here. Like he's really intense. And he goes on in Luke to say all sorts of really intense things. Like he's, it feels like he's constantly going, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want to follow me? Luke 9.23, he's like, you want to follow me? Pick up your cross. And, and we don't like a cross is a piece of jewelry now. So like it doesn't hold the same meaning to us. But that'd be like if you came to Brookside and I was like, you want to be a member of Brookside Church? Here, put this noose around your neck. Like, and that, I like hesitate in saying that because it feels so graphic, so intense, right? But like, I don't know. I just feel like sometimes when you hear something like that, it shocks you out of, of your current Perspective. It just helps shift your perspective because it's so in your face. It's so intense. Jesus keeps going, and I feel like I keep praying. Like, as I was preparing this sermon, I was like, God, I just want to follow you. I just want to preach your word. Uh, help me decrease. Help uh, you increase. Help me just use your words. Um, and I'm praying that as I, as I prepare and as I write. And then I read stuff like Luke 14, 25, where, where Jesus is like, you want to follow me? Anyone who comes to me and doesn't hate their mom, dad, kids, brothers, sisters, friends, spouse, even their own life, you can't follow me. Like whoever does not renounce everything he has can't be my follower. And I'm like, man, like Jesus, what? Wow. Uh, like, is he really saying he only wants the most studly, stud, Navy SEAL, hardcore followers? Like, is that what he's about? Or does he also say the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor? The kingdom of heaven belongs to the meek, the humble. Does he also say my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. And I'm like looking at this and I'm like what? How do I navigate? How do I hold these two things? Like super hardcore Navy SEAL Jesus and super gentle, lowly in spirit Jesus. How do I like marry these things. And I feel like what he's actually trying to say is like, yes, following me is the best, the easiest, the most fulfilling, the happiest. It's like the true way to true life. And I want you to do it. But as I'm looking at, at just the world, as he's looking at all these people who are here to preach, here to hear him preach, he's like, yeah, I, I just don't, not all of you are going to follow. Most of you are not going to do it. Right? Like, his way is the best way. But then he, it, it, it looks, and it is, it feels heavy. It feels hard. Because 
We have our flesh fighting against us. We have the riches, the cares, the pleasures of this world fighting against us. We have the devil fighting against us, right? Spiritual warfare. We have all this stuff trying to get us to not follow the Jesus way. Um, I feel like this is really like hard to wrap your brain around. So I'm going to try and use a parable to explain the parable. Um, I feel like this is similar to like super, super lazy couch potato guy who plays Xbox nonstop and just sits on his couch and like he, he has type 2 diabetes that he like gave himself from eating too much junk food and he has super high cholesterol and then he sees like a marathon runner and he's like, uh, yeah, that guy looks good, but 26.2 miles? No, I, I don't think, I don't want any part of that. Like, yeah, I see that his life, his physical life at least is, is much better than mine, but I don't want to pay that cost, right? And Jesus is looking at a bunch of couch potatoes and he's like, I'm telling you guys, this is the best way. This is the best way. It's going to be so worth it. Just do the work, do the thing, and I swear you're going to be healthier and better in every way. But I know not many of you are going to be willing to pay the cost. And then he goes into detail. He's like, about a quarter of you are going to look at the marathon and be like, yep, 26.2 miles, no thanks. That sounds way too hard. I don't care what you say about it being the best life. Marathon is not for me. Another quarter of you are going to start off strong. You just start the running plan, couch potato to 5K or whatever. You start strong and then like after half a mile of running and feeling good, your feet are going to start hurting and your back's aching and your lungs are burning and you quit. And then another quarter of you is going to start off strong stay on the plan, run for a while, but then just life gets busy, right? Running takes time, takes a lot of effort, and you just started like this new business or whatever, and, and, and just there's other stuff to do, lots of important things to do. God is important, the marathon's important, but like, I don't know, I just, I got busy, man. You know, it just happens. And then he's like, and a few of you are gonna start training, and it's gonna be hard, but you're gonna love it, and you're going to push through, and you're going to keep training, and you will slowly, patiently become marathoners. And when I look at it this way, it feels like a little less harsh, a little less intense, and a little more like he's just observing the way it works. It's like, yeah, if we look around your average room, most of the people there are not going to be marathon runners, right? Like, it's just, it's hard to do. It takes a lot of time and effort, and, and it's just kind of true. Most of the world is not marathon runners. Okay, so that's the physical version of the parable. Now let's move to the spiritual. So he's saying there are people who are going to straight up just not want to follow him. They're going to look at the cost of the good life and be like, man, you're telling me I have to forgive that person who like abused me? Or I have to, I have to count others as more significant than myself? I have, to, I have to pray and love my enemies and my friends and my neighbors and my coworkers? Like that's just too much. No, thank you. Don't want any part of that. It's just too much. That's like the seed on the hard path, right? Like that seed is not penetrating that hard, calloused ground. It's just not going to happen. And then he sees people who, who get all excited. They start off strong, but then the going gets tough, right? Their boss yells at them for not putting enough hours in, and they're working on, the, you know, they're just... It's just not enough. Or, or maybe it's a totally legit thing and like they start following Jesus, but then your kid gets like super ill 
you know, like, Jesus, I, I thought my life would be better. Like, you said this would be better, and now my kid is super sick, and I'm, I have hospital bills, and, and what is happening? So people stop. Quit, right? Next, Jesus says there's some people who hear what he says, and they think it sounds good, but there's just so many other things that sound good, too. Uh, and they give it up because they're pursuing other stuff. Like I said, you know, new entrepreneurial venture. Not, not necessarily like a bad thing. It's not like choosing evil, but it's like, wow, I just started this business, I'm really busy. Or, or you know, uh, just a packed full schedule of extracurricular activities and they got their golf hobby or whatever and their, their kid's soccer game, just all this stuff. Or, if you're like me, this is like my struggle forever, um, new girlfriend comes along. The like, cool, good news of the gospel, good news of beautiful girlfriend. And it's like less of like a decision of like, okay, God, I'm going to put you aside for this girl. And more of just like, she's awesome, spending all my time with her. And then like I realize, man, I haven't been like following Jesus at all. Like that was like routine for my Christian life for the longest time. Um, guys, this is hard. It's like hard truth to chew on. But then we have Jesus being like, hey man, if you get it, you get it. It is what it is. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And even though it's hard, I feel like I look back on my early Christian wild days of like taking the Bible literally, and I see it play out in my friends' lives. Like I think of my friend Jason, who he sort of came around youth group and stuff and, and came to church with us and sort of hanging out with us, but he just didn't really want any part of it, just didn't sound good. Um... He'd had some past hurt in his life, and uh, it's just sort of callous towards religion. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm not really into the whole Jesus thing. And I think of my friend Chase, who first invited me to church. Like, this guy was on fire. He invited, like, got me started, got a bunch of friends started, started off really strong, um, and then life got hard. And it's like, man, sometimes there's, there's difficult situations in life that you can't just answer with a Bible verse, you know? Like it's deeper than that. And God feels distant and, and we're in this like spiritual desert and our prayers feel like they're just hitting the ceiling. And yeah, we face the suffering that, that God promises. He's like very clear in the New Testament that we will suffer as we follow him. And it just got to be too much. And I saw, like there's zero judgment here because I've been in the spiritual deserts too. Like I, I, I know what he was feeling. But like I just saw my friend, like I saw the faith like wilt in him. And then I thought of my friend Peter, like the guy who like cut the TV cord. Started off really strong, and then a million other things got in the way. And he's like, he, you know, making money, going to college, partying, doing all sorts of extracurricular, super into martial arts and stuff like that, just doing all this fun stuff. Um, but I just saw like his walk with God sort of get choked out by like all these other things. New job, making lots of money, buying lots of stuff. And, and he just, yeah, it like I saw his faith get choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of the world. And like, it was weird, like this is hard. And I feel like I'm feeling convicted right now about some of this stuff. Um, and I wanna mention Francis Chan again, because at one point in his sermon, he's like, I feel like I really believe that if I if Jesus had a church in California, more people would go to my church than would go to Jesus' church. 
because there are people who would follow me who would never follow Jesus. His words were too harsh. And I'm like, man, I feel like, yeah, I agree. Like, that's, he's just so intense. Like, Jesus, three out of four types of seed are not going to make it. And you're saying, Jesus, the one that does make it has to, like, like, I have to pick up my cross and follow you and leave my family. And then I go on and I read uh, chapter 8, verse 20, a little bit later in the parable of the sower. Jesus was told, like, your mom and your brothers are outside to see you. Standing outside to see you. But he answered them, my mom and brothers are the ones who hear the word of God and do it. Guys, this is like Mary standing outside. Like Virgin Mary, Silent Night, Mary from the Christmas story is standing outside to see Jesus. And he's like, no, this is my true family right here. The ones who are sitting here under my teaching, they're my true mothers and brothers. Mother and brother. And I was like, okay, all right. This is intense. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And I, I want to just take a minute to say like, it's not an earning thing at all. Like I feel like, I don't know, I just don't want to come off like, super Navy SEAL, hardcore, like you have to fight your way and, and earn because the gospel is free and I would love to just talk more about that. Like it really is the best way, the easiest way. I've seen it play out in my life. It's been so good. It's like the chief joy of my life following God. It's not this oppressive thing and it's not this rule following. Like we see that with the Pharisees, right? They follow the rules really, really hard and they do all the stuff and they cross their T's and dot their I's, but they don't have it. I don't know, I just wanted to throw that out there. But I feel like the stuff I do feel convicted about is just not earning my salvation, but like really living on the level Jesus calls me to. Like, do I really live like this? Do I live like, like no rules, but you know what? Do I see my community group as, as, as close or closer than my own family? Do I see you guys? Do I see the church as closer than my own family? Like, does my daughter see, you know, people in my, my community group as like aunts and uncles and Uncle Ricky's coming over and we're all hanging out and eating together and Uncle Ricky's babysitting the kids and helping dad with house projects and we're all like fellowshipping together and stuff. Like, is that how I live, you know? And it's not a rule thing. It's just like, how into this am I? Like, how real is this? And if I take it like one step further, um, do I see my spiritual family as close or closer than my real family? You know, like, I, I, do I look at, like, Rob and Amy, and I'm like, man, you know what? You guys need anything. My savings account is your savings account. Like, let's say, you know, Amy gets sick or something, something happens, and they're hurting for money. And I just take all my stuff. I'm like, this stuff is yours. It's your, what's mine is yours. Like, that's how I want to live. And not in like a holier than thou, like, let me bless you with money because God has gifted me and let me gift you. No, like, like if your family member, if your kid is sick, you don't care about the medical bills, right? You're just like, whatever, I'll take, just take care of my kid, doctors, whatever. I will be in debt for the rest of my life as I try and pay off these medical bills. Hope my insurance comes through. But like, you don't think twice because you love your kid. Do I love the people in here? Do I love my fellow Christians that much? And I just keep reading Jesus' words and feeling convicted about what we're doing here. And I'm like, man, like, I'm guessing there's some bad soil in here. There's some bad soil in my heart. There's some bad soil in this room that, like, we're going to hear this stuff and some of it won't take root. Just odds are, right? Three out of four. Like, 
because it's really hard. It actually demands real life change. It demands me looking at my stuff like it's not mine. Looking at my, my fellow Christians, my enemies, my neighbors, as if they're just as important or more important than, than myself. So I just wanted to end by just asking us to take a moment, just to stop, to reflect, to pray for a little bit. What's holding us back? What's keeping us back from being totally sold out to God, to this Jesus way of life? What's keeping us from hearing? What are the stones, what are the thorns, what are the hard soils in our hearts that may be getting in the way um, of the fruit that God wants to grow in us? So if you would, um, Ben, you can come up, please. Uh, but if you guys just take a moment um, just to pray through this, and I'll, I'll pray to close us in a second. But just take a moment and just, yeah, let's think through this for a second. God, I feel, feel convicted because I don't want to be laying a heavy burden um, yeah, on people's hearts that you are not placing there. Like I know that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And you're not, I just feel like I know, God, your character. You're not a God who's like an angry dad. He's like, go do this thing. Like, here's the checklist of stuff you need to do. Go do it and I'll tell you how bad of a job you're doing. I know that's not you, and I also know that you're not just a God that's like, yeah, I just want to spend some time with you Sunday morning, or you know, spend some time with you in the quiet, and then you can go do your own thing. Um, you're a God that's like on mission. You're a God that's like a loving dad with this kid who's like, yeah, son, I want you to come to work with me today. And you're, you're going because that's what you're doing, going to work, doing your thing, and you're holding a handout to like bring us along. Like, Please, come with me. Son, I want you to come. Daughter, I want you to come with me. Come to work with me. Come do some stuff. And you're going to help me. And it's going to be great. And I'm going to fix the stuff that you maybe mess up a little bit. It's going to be fine. Like, I know that there's so much grace, Lord. Um, yeah, and I just feel like you want us to be more invested because you know what's good for us. You know what's best for us. Like a dad who wants his kids, uh, wants the best for his kids. Um, yeah, so I just, I'm not trying to lay law and burden on your people. Um, so would you help us, God? Help our, our prayers look like asking you, Lord, would you please gently like show me the stones 
in my life, the thorns in my life. Not in condemnation, not in shape up, you're not doing good enough, you're a couch potato, but just in like, son, I want you, I see this thing in your life and I want to take it out. I want to help you move forward. I want to help you mature. And know that's how you see us. You love us unconditionally and you want, just like a good dad with his kids, for us to grow up and, and take steps into deeper intimacy with you. God, please help us do that. Please help us see this as a journey with you and not a mission sent on without you. Thank you, Lord. Um, yeah, Holy Spirit, we invite you in. Please help. Thank you so much, God. You are good.